0: We'll pick up next week on our Hebrews and also on in our Timothy. Uh, we'll pick up next week on those. And so uh, I want to speak to you about Thy first love tonight in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, if you've not uh, read through Revelation, it's a wonderful thing to do. It tells us a lot about heaven. It tells us a lot about the judgment, but it tells us a lot about what God is doing and is working on. And uh, when you go in and you read these messages to the churches, it's an amazing a set of passages that uh, just tell the condition. And I believe that each of those churches are representative of a real church. I think those churches really existed, but also a representation maybe of the condition of various churches today. And so you look at that and you can see that in there. Uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. We'll read on through verse 7. Let's start in verse 1. You can remain seated this evening. The Bible says, Unto the angel the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has has found them liars and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. And then he has this word there, nevertheless. And we ought to be, uh, open to what he's sharing here. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And then he says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest uh, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that, hath, uh, that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, help us. And Lord, uh, as we look at the things that we do, well, as you all know, John's on the Isle of Patmos. He's under Caesar Augustus. Ephesus uh, became the capital of the Roman, uh, Roman province called Asia, which is the western portion of Turkey. And this is where this is all taking place. This was a residence for John before his exile to Patmos. And so he's out on this island. And this is the site of the temple of Artemis uh, or Diana. Uh, And so there was a lot of idol worship that went on. And so God sends him an angel. And uh, he sends an angel to this church with a message unto the people in the church, commending them and giving them words of encouragement. He's saying, hey, I just want to encourage you in these areas. You've been doing some wonderful things. And so there's a commendation that comes, and he's trying to encourage. And we find Jesus is examining them, but he's not just examining the externals. He's examining the internals. And that's what's important more than anything else is that internal relationship. Not so much about what the externals are, but the externals will be right if the internals are right. Would you agree? If I have a heart for God, the outward things will be correct. And so we find that Jesus is examining the internals and not just the externals. It's a condition of the heart. He, he wants a people that have a heart for God, a people that love him. And uh, it's, a, it's a matter of the heart for the individual. And so in the end of all of this, he makes a statement, and I kind of want you to get a hold of this, even though we call this Thy First Love as a title. He said, he that hath an ear. <laughs> and he's talking about the ability to really listen to truth, whether you're reading that or it's being preached to you or whatever. He said, listen up and pay attention. The idea of uh, he that hath an ear, let him hear, that word has the idea of listen with a view to obedience. When he says the word hear, he's talking not just about uh, having it come in, but what are you doing about what's coming in? So there's that spirit of what do we do about what we hear? So when I think about our church, would God look down on you as an individual and would God look down on Calvary Chapel and say, we have a focus on our first love? Would he say that about us as a church body? Would he say that about you as an individual? Would he say you have a focus on your first love, which would be Christ Jesus? Now, when we think about it tonight, Christ must be the central focus of our life. Would you agree? He needs to be the center of all things. The Bible tells us he ought to have preeminence in our lives. You go to Colossians and you read that, and Christ ought to be preeminent. Above all things, Christ should be the center of all that we do, all that we say, Uh, When you consider your life, is he the central focus of your life? And then when you consider the life of the church, is he the central focus of the church? The church needs to surround itself around Jesus Christ. What builds a church, what builds a work is Jesus Christ. And so when you have that proper foundation, which is Christ Jesus, and you build upon that solid rock, when you build upon that foundation, we cannot go wrong. And so everything is built and predicated on who he is. And listen, when we don't do that, the church will lose direction. You as an individual will lose direction. And so what we need is to make sure that he's the central focus. Now, if we maintain our love for Christ, he brings out a couple of things. He wants us to reject evil. And so the Bible teaches us that there are evil things going on in the world, and there are things that we ought to reject, and we should reject those things. We should not allow them to enter into our lives, into our homes, and when they do, there's a rejection of those things. Secondly, stay focused on our first love. If Jesus Christ saved your soul, you're here tonight and you're saved, we ought to love him for that. We ought to thank him for it each and every day. Uh, He loved us when we weren't so lovely, amen? And so he did something for us. And then lastly this, remember to repent. Don't ever think you're at a place where we don't need to repent. Uh, I can promise you there's not a day goes by that some sin hasn't entered into our lives at some point. And we need to always remember to have a spirit of repentance in us. So purpose in your heart to reject evil. When you look at verses 1 through 3, he tells us who's uh, bringing forth the message and that he tells these folks these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the golden candlestick. And he begins to tell them, listen, I know some things about you. Now, I want you to underline that in your Bible. He says, I know. I know some things about you. And he's talking to the church at Ephesus. He's telling them, he says, I know some things about you. So the message from the angel first establishes where the message is derived from, and it contains an evaluation of this church. And I I wonder if God evaluated us, what does he see? What what does he see if he were to evaluate us? Are are we connected with our first love? Are we really where we need to be in love with our Savior? And are we connected where we need to be? It's always difficult when you move from one town to another and try to determine if a particular church is where you ought to be. And, uh, you know, when we go on vacation, I love to go to church and I like to visit churches. And there's sometimes I've walked in and knew I'm not where I should be. <laughs> and I've been in some churches that you scratch your head thinking, what was that? And, uh, and so you, you, even when you move, you, you might think to yourself, okay, how do I determine? How do I pick out a particular church? Where I ought to be? Now, sometimes there's some wonderful looking buildings, are there not? You go around and you can see some buildings. I mean, they're awesome. There's some beautiful buildings out there. And, and I think about that. Decent-sized congregation. But is the body alive? Have you been to a church where it was big, it was beautiful, you walk in and come on. (laughs) What are we doing here? And it just doesn't feel like it's alive. Um, There are churches that some may uh, have a view as being rich. And there are some that uh, are rich that turn out to be poor. Well, there are some determined to be poor that will be rich in Christ Jesus. Um, we went out to see, where was that church uh, to see Phil Skipper? Where was that at? Say it again. Spencerville. What was that guy's name? What's the pastor's name out there? Anybody know? Come on, somebody give it to me. We remember Phil was there. We don't remember the name of the pastor. It was a wonderful church. I went in, and it's just a small congregation, but it was alive. How many of you saw that when you were there? And I mean, they were excited. And I was looking around, and I thought, man, this is great. I wasn't the only one there. The henchens showed up, and the Rice's showed up, and the birches showed up, and I thought, hey, my, I'll just call everybody. Let's go over to Spencerville. No, <laughs> and, uh, but, but the thing it was is when you walked in, you were greeted. People were happy to see you. They were talking to you. Thank you for being here. They walked around. They shook my hand. They didn't know who I was. They didn't know who my family was. And I thought, man, this is great. And, and it's exciting. And, and you walk in, and they're rich in Christ Jesus. And by the way, when you think about this, really the only one that can properly inspect a church to really determine its status would be Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. And we can tell only Jesus Christ can do that. Now, he's not only interested in the externals. He's not only interested when you walk into the building, you say, wow, it's a beautiful building. Wow, what a beautiful set of pews. Wow, look at the chandeliers. Wow, look at that grand piano. Wow, look at this. Jesus isn't as interested in the externals as he is on the internals. What I mean by that is he's interested in the people. He's interested in those folks that are sitting in there. And what is their relationship like with him? And based on the context, it's intended for all churches to read and benefit from these messages. And I want us to dig a little deeper as you come close to the end of this. He said, him that hath an ear, let him hear. Listen with a view to obedience. Listen to what God's speaking of to these churches. And Jesus said, I know. And here's the thing. Jesus knows us. And here's what he tells this church at Ephesus. He said, I know your works. I know your toil. I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. Jesus knows what's going on, does he not? (laughs) He said, I know what you're doing. And he says, I know your labor. He knows our pains, our troubles, our weariness. He knows. If he knew Ephesus, does he know Calvary? If he knew Ephesus, does he know Calvary? (laughs) And he says, I know who you are. I know what's going on. And so he knows the pains and the troubles. He said, I know thy patience. By the way, that word patience there has the idea of cheerful or hopeful endurance. They were moving on. They they had a joy in them, and they had patience. And then he said, this I know about you too, not bearing the evil. He said, canst not bear them which are evil. And when he says that, he says, listen, you're not uh, lifting up or sustaining or receiving or declaring this evil. You're not doing that. And he says, I, uh, you're, you're not involved in it that way. And I know that. And he says, I know this about you. And then he says, I know you try those false apostles. In fact, he says, and thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not. I know. And when he says you tried them, you've proved them, you've tested them, you've found out whether they're real, you've scrutinized this situation, and you've done it objectively, and it was all based on truth. And then he uses the word born. And he said, and hast born, and hast patience, and for my namesake has labored and has not fainted. He said, You born for my namesake. You you've gone on for my namesake. You've endured for me. You've done these things. I know you. He says, I know you've done these things. And then he says, I know you've had patience for my namesake. You had a hopeful and cheerful endurance while waiting. And he says, I know that about you. And you did it for my name's sake. And he says, I know you labored and fainted not. You've not given up or grown weary in the work that's been presented. He said, I know this about you. And the Lord is so gracious by beginning beginning with these words of commendation and looking to what's good in the people and what's good in the church. And you know, folks, when you get your mind on what's good, it changes your thinking. When you look at the good and not the negative all the time, it's a good thing. And there are good things happening at Calvary. There are good things happening. Hey, folks are getting fed in the community at times, are they not? Uh, Not much is being said. You know, Mike and Patty are working back there in the uh, food pantry, and folks are coming, and we're supplying food to them. Folks are coming and helping with that. It's a wonderful thing, is it not? Children are being taught. We're going to do a Christmas program next Sunday night. Kids are going to come in and share verses with people. They're going to sing songs. That's a good thing, is it not? And God knows this. And, and, and there are good things that are happening. Hey, the buses are running up to St. Mary's, and Miss Vicky's still picking up children. That's a good thing. Children's Church is still running. Connie's back there teaching Children's Church. That's a good thing. Miss Epperly has stepped in when Miss Carol can't play the piano. Miss Epperly stepped in and is playing the piano. That's a good thing, is it not? Good things are happening, folks. And and, and I look at it. Uh, I've got more folks back there now helping with the computers. And uh, the other day, uh, I said to Dom, I said, problems, and he walked in and he goes, oh, we can help you with those, and within a matter of minutes, that's a good thing, <laughs> amen, it's a real good thing, <laughs> trust me, it's a good thing. Someone came tonight and said, hey, pastor, I got a deer for you, that's a good thing, yeah. amen, I like putting deer meat in my freezer, amen, there are good things that are happening, listen, we had visitors this morning, you said, yeah, North Carolina, Lima, or uh, uh, not Lima, but uh, what's that other place, Salina, ah, Hey, that's a good thing, isn't it? We had visitors this morning. And, and what I'm sharing with you is God's always at work. There's good things going on around us. He knows us, and He knows where our hearts are. Now, as we think about this, the Ephesians paid the price to serve the Lord, and they endured under trial and were separated people who were carefully examined. And, uh, and they then examined those that visited them, the, uh, the ministers that came. They would examine them. Let's turn just back a little ways. Let's go to 2 John uh, here uh, in the New Testament. Go to 2 John, and uh, I want to read something to you. These false apostles, they were scrutinizing them. They were trying to figure out, are these guys on target or they're not? And look at what it says in 2 John. He said in verse 7, "...for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is coming to flesh." This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Let me tell you, any religion that tells you Christ hasn't come yet, what does the Bible say? They're against Christ. The Bible clearly tells you they are what kind of a person? They're a deceiver, are they not? And so he goes on and he says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. And uh, he says, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is a partaker of his evil. The church at Ephesus said, we're not going to bring those guys in. Why? They understood they were false teachers. They were false prophets. God commends them on that. And says, you're watching out. You're doing the right things. And John tells us in this passage in Second John, he says, hey, listen, anybody that denies that Christ came in the flesh, they are a deceiver, are they not? They knew that there were false prophets out there bringing false messages. And then he brings this up. They separated themselves from false doctrine and deeds, including the Nicolaitans. And he says this about them. What, they, what that means is conquering of the people. This was a group that perhaps promoted what you would call uh, clerical hierarchy. You know, they, they, you have this hierarchy, and, and they control everything. And, and, and they promoted this. And we find more about that in Pergamos. Uh, but they would lord over the people, and that's not what God intended He didn't intend that for the local church. And then James uh, shared with us during his message on the church that God hates self-serving and self-righteous people. That's what the Nicolaitans were. They were self-righteous and self-serving people. They were charged with holding the error of Balaam, ministering for profit. They were casting a stumbling block before the church of God by upholding the liberty of eating things sacrificed to idols as well as committing fornication, doing things for personal gain, selfish gain, lust of the flesh. They were rooted in pride. They, they uh, were deceitful, and fleshly desires uh, would overcome them. That would have dominion over them and dominion over others. And they had a wrong view of the gospel. They had a wrong view of what the gospel teaches, and they had a wrong biblical philosophy, and and, and they put these burdens on these people that God never intended. And it was a root of bitterness from which evil practices grew, and all these things bore out of that. How many of you have read the book, Done, from Brother Schmidt? Anybody ever read that? When you read that, he talks about there's only two religions in the world, right? Do and done. (laughs) And so there are those that believe that you have to do something to get to heaven. And then there are those that understand that we hear from God, it is what? Finished. It's finished. It's done. There's nothing else that we have to do. And any religion that says you have to do something other than trust what Christ has already done, (laughs) that's a false religion. It's taking you down a path you need not go, it's trying to get you involved in something. So the believers at Ephesus were suffering people who patiently bore their burdens and toiled without fainting in the name of Christ Jesus. They did these things, and God commended them for it. He said, I know you. I know what you've done. In whatever form it comes in, as believers, we must purpose in our hearts when evil enters in that we reject that evil. We don't let it enter into our homes. We don't let it enter into our hearts. And so, listen, God knows what we're doing. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in our homes. He knows what's going on in our hearts. And he knows what's going on in our church. Does he not? If he knew the church at Ephesus, does he know Calvary? Yes. Always. Remember, we want to reject that which is evil and accept that which is good. Now, if we're to maintain our love for Christ, then we must keep our focus on our first love. What does he say in verse 4? Nevertheless, that's a tough word. After he just commended them, he says, listen, I know you. I know what you're doing. You did all these right things. And this is wonderful. Wonderful. And it's good that you did these right things. But he says, I want you to understand I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Now, in that idea of doing and and done, sometimes there are people that think if I do, I gain more merit with God. By doing, you don't gain more merit with God. You do because you love God, but you don't gain more merit from God. And listen, God's not up there. He's not an angry God and standing over us and lording over us in the sense of this, that I'm just waiting for you to mess up. And when you're not pleasing me, you're just messing up. And I'm just waiting to strike you. I don't believe that's the God I serve. I believe I serve a very different God. The God that I serve is one that loves me and desires a relationship with me. I believe that's the God that I serve. And me doing more or doing stuff isn't gaining more merit with God. But maybe I do things because I love God. Amen? And so I serve him because I love him. And that's how he says to them, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Because he told Him, he said, I know all this stuff. I know you're doing all this stuff. And that's good stuff. I commend you on that. But you've left your first love. Are you doing it because you love me? And so he challenges them to, with this. Nevertheless, contrawise, how be it? Indeed, notwithstanding, here is a church that not more than 30 years before was commended for its love. In Ephesians 1, 15 and 16, he says, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This was a busy place. Ephesus was a very busy place. It was separated, sacrificing church that really suffered from heart trouble, and they were so busy they abandoned their first love. And God's telling us, don't be so busy that you forget why you're doing what you're doing. Never forget when you go to the nursery and you're working in the nursery that you're doing that for the Lord Jesus Christ. That that when you go teach a Sunday school class or you stand up here and sing a special or you preach a message or you open up in prayer or you take up the offering, remember all of that, That is just should be and come from, I love the Lord. It should not be for show. It should not be for. Listen, He knows us. He knows our hearts. And He desires for us to do these things because we absolutely love Him. What we find is that they displayed works and labor and patience, but these qualities were not motivated by a love for Christ. They were just getting it done now. Just getting it done. We're getting it done. Can you see what we're doing? (laughs) And it's not just about doing, it's about the reason that you're doing it, the relationship that you you do these things. It's the reason you go to Christ. The first love is a devotion to Christ, and that so often characterizes the new believer. I remember when I first got saved, I told my pastor I was going to quit my job and just go knock on doors. I believed God would take care of me. He said, love the zeal. I would uh, just question, make sure you share that with your wife before you quit your job. Amen. And he said, I love the zeal. But he said, let's let's work through this now. And and sometimes there's that fever that you have. You you have this fervent desire to want to please the Lord, to want to do things. You love God. You know what God's done for you. Hey, listen, when my sin burden was lifted from me, I thought, man, this is incredible. And and I I just want to show him that I love him. I don't even know how to do it. But I just wanted to do something. And so what he teaches us, this first love, is a devotion to Christ, and it characterizes sometimes what a new believer goes through, that personal or uninhibited excitement. And sometimes it's just openly displayed. And and you just trust God as a child would trust their mother and father in anything, that we trust God that way. And listen, he wants us to come back to that. He wants us to have that kind of faith. He's looking for us just to really trust him. And that we do the things that we do, and we do it feverishly, or we do it uh, with great desire because we love Him. Because we love Him. We soon begin to take advantage of Christ. And you know, I I call it the googly-eyed syndrome. I counsel people before they get married. And you can see the googly-eyed syndrome come in. And they come in, and they're just so in love. And what's the reason that you're going to marry Him? Oh, look at Him. He's so handsome, right? And you you see him, and you say, what's what's the reason you're going to get married? Well, just look at her, you know? And I want to tell you something. Looks fade, amen? Amen? Looks fade. My wife posted a picture of us on Facebook. Somebody wrote on there, Anita, you look pretty much the same, but wow, pastor. And I loved it (laughs) because I have changed, amen? And. You know that they come in and they don't know when they jump in that limousine, the mystery ride they're about to go on, do they? No idea. And it's not easy, is it? And you know what happens is is we go on that honeymoon. And you go on that honeymoon and oh man. I remember when we come back, we had 727 pictures from where we went on our honeymoon. Yes, she took a lot of pictures. And I I remember, I just thought, oh, it's just so cute. (laughs) Even my kids are like, listen, let's just go over here. She's going to want to take a picture. (laughs) And so we all just smile, and we do the thing that she wants us to do, right? You go on that honeymoon, and it's just like, oh, man. And you come back from the honeymoon, and the grind starts to set in. And all of that starts taking place. And then I think what we begin to do is we forget the love that we had for one another. And sometimes we even begin to take advantage of one another. Don't we? And we forget that love that we had. Now, when you think about this, that love, when you first got saved, what was that like? (laughs) Do you remember getting saved? Do you remember the day you got saved? do you remember how you might have felt that, at that moment? I, I, I just remember it so well. It was, it's so vivid in my mind. And, and I just remember what Christ did for me. And I, and I look back on that and I think to myself, I don't want to lose that love. I don't want the honeymoon to be over with him. I want it to always be like that, renewed day by day. Every day I wake up, I, I want to have that kind of relationship with my Savior. Now think about this. What happens is a man or woman, after they've been together for a while, they begin to take maybe advantage of each other. So what do we do for the Lord and, and, and how we do it for the Lord and the purpose that we do it for the Lord? Are we doing it out of love? Do we really love one another? I remember being on the plane and when we were flying uh, to our destination, I remember she was sleeping on the plane and I looked over and... And I've known her for now 18 months. <laughs> you know, we're married. And, and I looked over and I, for the first time, had the thought of, I don't really know this person. And we're married. And I thought, man. But then I thought I need to get to know her. Miss Epperly tells me, I never finished this story, but she went in for surgery and she got really ill. I was telling Dom the story the other day and, Anita got really ill. And when she got really ill, she, she I, I remember going up and, and the surgeon takes me out in the hallway. And Dr. King was his name. He takes me out in the hallway. And I thought I took my wife in. She just had a fever. And he takes me out in the hallway says, I need to talk to you. So he brings me out in the hallway and he's standing there. He said, let me tell you something. He said, if I don't do this surgery, your wife is going to die. That's the first thing he told me. The second thing he said is that there's a possibility we're going to have to take her, her leg off up, up, up on the upper thigh. And then <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, Anita had a fever. And then he says to me, and the best case scenario is we'll get in there and find out what this is, and we'll cut it out, whatever it is, and we'll help her body to start healing. Now, Miss Epperly, I'm grateful it was the third one. Amen. But I'm sharing this with you because that night when I was in that hospital room, this woman's laying there lethargic. This woman, when she was on a plane with me, I thought, I don't really know her. And, and as we built a relationship together and we started uh, to learn one another and we began to communicate with one another and things start to grow, and all of a sudden here I'm in this hospital room and, and she's laying there lethargic. She cannot speak. And the doctor said to me, would you like to kiss her? And I said, Yeah. And I remember them taking her out of the room. And there were these blinds in these windows. Why I remember this, I don't know. There were two windows and the blinds were inside and, and they were open and the moon was shining in. And I walked in and I didn't have my Bible and I walked in and there's that stinking Gideon Bible laying there. And I opened it up. And when I opened it up, it said, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to tell you, folks, at that moment, I dropped to my knees and I began to pray because I knew I loved my wife. God elevated it to a level to help me better understand whom he gave to me. (laughs) And what I'm sharing with you is that experience also happened to me when I got saved. God reminds me of who he gave me. He gave me himself, amen, And when he did that, he established a relationship with me. And through that relationship, he wants us to understand we need not leave our first love. And the reason we work and we labor and we toil and we do it with patience and we bore it out in his namesake and we reject evil and we do all of these things is because we love him. And it's not a tit-for-tat thing. It's because you have a relationship with him. It's because of who he is that you do these things. These things are not gaining more merit for you. You're not getting uh, more of anything. Listen, God loves you, amen, and his desire is to have a relationship with you. And he doesn't want you to depart from that relationship, but he wants to remind you that when you do things, do it because you want to honor him. It is possible to serve, sacrifice, and suffer for his namesake and not really love Jesus the way that we ought to. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, but the whole world doesn't love Jesus. They just don't. And we have to come to that place in our lives where we need not leave our first love. When I think about this in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.3, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Remembering. Paul's saying, I know you guys are doing things. And he says, I remember those things. But listen, Jesus is telling us in these passages, I know you. I know what you do. I know what you're doing. And I know the reasons you're doing it. And so he has a desire for a relationship with you. And he wants you to do it for the right reasons. You know, we can be separated from Christ, but neglect what I call adoration. And what I mean by that is really loving Christ and esteeming him. Really honoring him and lifting him up. Not that we might gain more merit, but because he deserves it. Amen? Amen. Not for our sakes, but for the sake that we love Christ. And we want to adore him. We want to honor him. We want to reverence him. We want to glorify our Savior. And listen, we want to do it for Christ's name's sake. That's why we're doing it. (laughs) And so we don't want to leave our first love. Labor is not a substitute for love, by the way. Labor is not a substitute for love. We need to love Christ, and we labor because we love Him. That's why we do it, because we love Him. And so you don't say, I labor, therefore that is my love. No, that's not what He's talking about. He's talking about you labor in love. Let me turn to Ephesians. Turn there with me, if you will. Turn to Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse 14 with me, if you will. Of course, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus there, he says in verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is he able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I want you to kind of get a hold of this over here. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, That being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. It goes beyond our comprehension. (laughs) It goes beyond what we can really understand. It passes what we know. And so he's telling us as believers, he's telling this church at Ephesus, and I believe he's communicating with the church today through it, saying, remember your first love. Remember the reason you're doing what you're doing. When you think about this, this is a letter to the church that is now being rebuked. He started commending them, and he had to rebuke them because they've drifted away. And when you think about it, as believers, we must purpose in our heart to keep our focus on our first love. No matter what you're doing at Calvary, inside the church, outside the church, when you're serving, when you're reaching out to others, remember... It is not that you're gaining more merit with God. It is just simply this. I love the Lord, therefore I do this. Because I love God. Now, what is that? He said, if you give a cup of water in my name, <laughs> amen, anything that you do and you're doing it in the Lord's name, listen, it's a wonderful thing. And you don't do it because you're trying to gain merit with God. You do it just because you love the Lord. I just love God, so I do those things. And so you... Don't gain any more merit, but you certainly show that you have a a relationship with the Lord. If we are to maintain our love for Christ, then we must remember to repent as well. In verse 5, another big word there, he says, remember. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And he goes on to talk about the Nicolaitans, which we've already discussed. But I want you to think about this. When we fall, we can be restored. When a a sinner falls, folks, people can be restored. Amen? God is in the restoration business. Is he not? God restores the to himself. God is the one that does this. And we ought to have that mindset ourselves in, in thinking, you know, sometimes we get to the place. I was talking with someone yesterday. And, and, and if, if our heart condemneth, God is greater than our heart. But if our heart condemneth us not, then have we confidence toward God. Sometimes we're condemning ourselves. We're not God. And we continue to condemn ourselves over things maybe that have happened in the past. And maybe you've even asked God to say, God, I want you to forgive me for this. But then you go right back to it. And God tells us, and John, listen, stop doing that to yourself. Sometimes we resurrect things, and in the conversation, in the, in, the, in the context of the conversation that I was having, it was like, sometimes that's hard, isn't it? It's hard to let go of things, is it not? It's hard to not remember those things, but the fact is, is God says, if your heart condemn you, God is greater than your heart, amen? And he says, But if our heart condemneth us not, then is our confidence toward God. That's where our confidence needs to be. Listen, does the Bible teach us that Jesus Christ forgives? Does it? And so if I sincerely come to my Christ and I say, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me. Does he forgive you? The Bible tells me he does. He says in there, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's there. It's clear to me that, that my Savior forgives. Now, you say, well, preacher, uh, uh, what about the fact that uh, I've asked him, but man, there's some consequences. That's right. There are sometimes consequences to sin, are there not? Things come up. And, and so when you look at it, you say, well, I asked him to forgive me. It doesn't mean that he didn't forgive you, but there's still consequences. I might have been speeding down the highway, and when I did, I got stopped by the police, and I, I, I asked the officer to forgive me, and he says, I forgive you, and he writes me a ticket anyway. There's a consequence for it, isn't there? Yes, there is. My Heavenly Father teaches me this. He says, listen, even when forgiveness occurs, it doesn't mean there aren't consequences sometimes to those situations. It doesn't mean that He has not forgiven you. And so sometimes what we want to do is we want to keep raising that up. And what I share with you is draw a line in the sand. And you know, you're you're there at that portion where that sin occurred. Okay? And there I am standing right there. And what I'm asking of God is this. Lord, forgive me. Cross on over and let that forgiveness take place. Remember the time that you prayed and asked Him to forgive you for that. When our heart condemneth us, God is greater than our heart. Don't step back over the line. Stay over here. Stay on this side of the line and say, I know my God has forgiven me. And then I have confidence toward God. Listen, if I have confidence that he can save my soul, can I have confidence that he can forgive me for my sins? Absolutely. And so he tells us, remember something. He says, remember, repent, and do the first works. That word remember, or keep on remembering what you've lost or what that, that, that you cultivated in the past, that desire that you had in the past. Listen, regain that. Let's communicate once again. Let's get back to where we were, is what God's telling them. In Acts 17, 27, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they uh, might feel after him and find him, though he not be far from every one of us. God's not that far away from you, folks. (laughs) And anything that has happened in your life, listen, we have a Christ that forgives, without a doubt. He tells us to remember. Then he tells us to repent. And a repentance is a change of mind, folks. When you confess your sins, you're changing your mind about what you have done or what you're doing. You're changing your mind. And so, when, when Christ comes to you and He says, if we confess our sins, you go to Him, you tell Him, repentance is, is, I'm going to turn from it. There's a change of mind. I'm not going to keep going in the same direction I was going. I'm going to go in a different direction. And so, it's a change of mind, and He tells us to repent, and He promises us that He'll forgive us. And then He tells us, do the first works, or repeat the first works. I think what He's suggesting is that we restore the original fellowship that was broken by our sin. That sin that was there, he's saying, listen, let's go back to where we were. (laughs) Let's let's start this over again. Go back. He clearly says, do the first works. He's saying, let's go back to where we started. Let's go back and cultivate that same relationship that we had in the beginning. Those things that you did because I loved you and you loved me. And and we did these things because we love one another. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and we love him. Therefore, we do labor because we love him. And we do those things out of a love relationship with Him. And so, therefore, go back and do those things. When we look at this, what are some of those things? Listen, never neglect prayer. Never neglect prayer in your life. Never neglect it. Don't neglect prayer because that is a line of communication for you and God. Never neglect reading your Bible. And I've shared this so many times in this church. You are never wasting your time when you're reading the Word of God. Never. Are you wasting your time? Don't neglect reading your Bible. These are good things. And what do they help you with? It helps you in your relationship with Christ. You're not gaining more merit by doing it, but what you are gaining is a closer relationship with God through doing these things, you, through your prayer, through your, through your reading of your Bible. Uh, you're, you're drawing closer to God. Be in the Word. Meditate on it. Be obedient. Uh, serve the Lord. Worship God. All of which we find in the scriptures, listen, it's to our benefit in our relationship. If the day I said I do to Anita and she said I do to me, and then I left and I never saw her again, how would that work out? Not very well. And you think about what kind of relationship do you want to have with God? What kind of relationship does He want to have with you? So consider this tonight. In spite of the privileges that believers at Ephesus enjoyed, the church was in danger of losing its light, and the church that loses its love for Christ will lose its light. It'll lose that light if you lose your love for Christ. No matter how doctrinally sound sometimes a church may be, you have to remain in love with Jesus Christ. (laughs) You say, well, if we're doctrinally sound, we to be loving Christ. That's true, but sometimes we got all the rules down, but we lost our love. And Jesus said, let's go back to where we began. (laughs) Let's start this over again. You know, the place where this church once stood, uh, today it's a heap of rubble. There's no shining light there anymore. It's gone. And Jesus said, don't lose your first love. The place where this was, it's gone. He said, I will come in verse 5. It's not referring to the Lord's return, but to his coming judgment then and there. And in these seven messages to the churches, he tells them, the overcomers, that's not the spiritually elite. The overcomers are not spiritually elite people. These overcomers are believers who have faith in the victory that Christ has won for us already. And we serve Him and love Him. Let me give you a couple of verses. In 1 John 5, 4 and 5, he said, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Amen? Whatsoever is uh, born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith, who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, sinful man was banned from the tree of life in Genesis chapter 3, put out of the garden. And Christ told us that he wants to give us eternal life, abundant life in John 3, 16. In John 10.10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Why did Jesus come? Because he wants us to have the right uh, relationship with our God. He came, he died, he came in the flesh. Anybody that says that he didn't come in the flesh, listen, that's a false, that's a false They're a deceiver. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He has died on the cross of Calvary. He did raise again the third day. And then, as a saved individual, I build that relationship. And here's what I want to challenge us with tonight as we end. Let's not be guilty of being a careless church. Let's not be careless. Let's not lose our first love. Let's do what we do because we love the Lord. Let's do those things out of a love for Christ. And here's what he says. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. When he has that statement, he's saying, listen With a view to obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you.